Welcome back to Noise Avocation Podcast. I'm Ryan here with Jeremy as always. How's everybody doing out there? First and foremost, thanks for tuning into the episode. We appreciate it. Happy Monday if you're uh, driving to work or whatever the hell you're doing from across the world, whoever's listening. We'll get into our guest here in a minute, but before we do that, I wish I didn't have to announce this, but unfortunately on Friday, Wayne Kramer of the MC5 passed away. If you're unfamiliar with Wayne Kramer, he was an incredible pioneer of punk rock, rock and roll music in general, um, you know, political activism and music in general. Like the MC5 were huge, but huge for Detroit, but not huge like worldwide, you know what I mean? Unfortunately, they should have been huge worldwide, but maybe that'll come in time like after Wayne's passing. No, it's definitely a band that. They got their due after they were already done, and they still haven't gotten their due, so to speak. But yeah, that's what I'm saying. I don't think they're like a, but I will a household say this. name outside of Michigan, at least. Based on, okay, based on Wayne dying yesterday, or, yeah, whatever the time it is, it's in the New York Times. Mm-hmm. Now, I guarantee you the MC5 was never in the fucking New York Times, and that's kind of the shit that's like... It takes somebody to die to get, like, that recognition, you know? Yeah, like the, you know, people always say you don't get your flowers until you're dead, which, I mean, yeah, but at the same time, like, if you have people who are here, I mean, like, you got people like Keith Richards and stuff who I feel like have gotten their notoriety, but, like, why shouldn't Wayne Kramer have gotten his? Like, clearly from just scouring the internet, um, you know, in the last couple days, the amount of people from all various ranges of music and, like, magazines and places that have posted about it. He was known. Um, You know, he's done a ton of work for... He had a charity called Jail Guitar Doors that brought guitars to people in prison, so they had something, you know, to focus on while in prison and sort of an outlet to cope with being in there because while he was locked away, that was sort of his outlet. Also, a shout-out Carl Weathers who also passed away, a.k.a. Apollo Creed, a.k.a. What's the matter, Dylan? See, I got you pushing too many pencils, that kind of shit. <laughs> so Carl Weathers went out, that shit sucks too. Yeah, same Bad day. weekend. It was like, I seen Carl, and then uh, I was like, oh man, Apollo Creed, like that's shitty, like that sucks. And then I opened my phone later on that day, and I read the Wayne Kramer thing, and I was like, no way, like that can't be real. Yeah. I had to, like, go in, dig around, and look, and I'm like, oh, wow, because, I mean, just being a fan of the MC5 in general and Wayne's solo work, and it's such a huge loss. Like, his contributions will definitely go on, and he has paved the way for so many bands that came after, like, you know, the Stooges, the Clash, the Sex Pistols, any punk band, uh tons of rock bands like you you know you guys owe a lot to wayne kramer so yeah even if you don't know it yeah even if you don't know it like and if for some reason you're unfamiliar take the time go check out the mc5 check out wayne kramer's solo work um you know check out his jail guitar doors charity which is still live and active i don't know who's running that or whatever but put a book out a few years ago that i know we both read called the hard stuff if you get a chance, uh, read that. That'll pretty much sum it up, man. Yeah, I mean, the guy was a rock and roll legend. Uh, there's no other way to put that. So huge loss to him, huge loss to Michigan music in general, and, uh, you know, 
every my heart goes out to his family and all that stuff and you know rest in peace to Wayne but it's a I wish I didn't have to make that news announcement but it has to be made so uh, but moving on from that um, we talked with blast feeds a while back if you listen to that episode we interviewed Fiat productions last week who was the label that released this band that we have here with us today uh, you've heard us mention Wield and Woe. You heard the track at the beginning of the episode. By the way, if you're interested in the song, it was called My Heart to Fear off their latest album, For the Good of the Realm. Currently, the record's sold out. I believe all the physical copies of tapes and CDs are sold too. But if you listen to Fia, uh, she mentioned that they're doing a repress of the record. So stay tuned for that. We'll definitely announce that on our Instagram and stuff as well once we know more about it. A while back, we interviewed Obsequii, which is with the only other castle metal band that I'm really aware of. Uh, so it was cool to see somebody else have that title of music, and I think the album's great. We're going to get into all that in the episode, so Jeremy, unless you have anything else, we'll uh, jump into talking with Jeff, and thanks for listening. Jeff, uh, first and foremost, thanks for taking the time to jump on the show. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Anytime. Shit, we've been talking about Weld and Woe a bit lately because we did FIAD last week and Blast Beats not long before that, which was right around when the, the record, the actual physical record, was coming out. Right. So one thing before we get kind of into the background of the band and stuff, I thought it was really cool that... This record sold out in like three minutes, two minutes, if you know, if I remember right, when uh, the Blast Beats drop came out. But it originally, like when you guys put out your first tape, it took you a lot longer to sell out than that. To hear that growth was really cool to me. Yeah. So when we first released For the Good of the Realm with Fia back in like September, the tapes and CDs, if I remember right, sold out, I think in like a day and a half within two days. Uh, it was still like by all means pretty fast but yeah, um, dude, yeah certainly not three minutes fast for sure so if yeah if you think that's cool imagine how i felt when <laughs> right. when they when varian texted me and was like oh yeah they're all gone and i was like did your website crash and they were like no they sold out and i was like three minutes damn like i barely got out of the driveway in time yeah i was like on the website at about like nine fifty and hitting refresh and everything because i've had to deal with drops that have gone this way before like I, and I wasn't sure because I caught on to the album a, you know a while after it came out I didn't hear it right away but then when I seen the yeah. record release I was like oh sweet fucking need to get that because when we were talking to Blast Beats about it I was playing it throughout the day and night and etc so I didn't know where your popularity was really with like you know your physical media fan base so i was like well to be safe i better be on there like right at drop right yeah like our stuff has sold really well um which has been really really cool for us and i'm very thankful for that i did not anticipate three minutes i figured that we would move all of the copies i wasn't too concerned with that but there was a much higher demand for the album on vinyl than i think that i anticipated so I'm I'm very very grateful to Fear Productions and uh, Blast Beats for doing that for us because it has introduced us to a lot of people who did not know about us otherwise. I had never so heard it of has you been until very helpful. Yeah, so it's been super super helpful, like from a, a marketing standpoint, just for the band. Oh yeah, for sure. 
I think Tanner from Obsequia might have posted the picture of the album like when it came out because when I seen the album itself the photo the artwork like rang a bell like I had seen it before but I didn't know exactly what it was but it definitely like yeah, draws people in yeah Tanner did share it from the Obsequia page when it dropped which was I mean James Hetfield might as well have shared it you know like that's yeah, kind sure. of an equi- equivalent action for me like Tanner's the dude he's like the king of what we're doing right so for him to like acknowledge us and share that on his page was like the highest form of uh, endorsement that I could imagine so I was really really moved by that yeah when we interviewed him uh, both those guys Carl and Tanner were like incredibly intelligent like we even Jeremy and I like after the episode were like damn like that was like an in-depth interview and like we got a ton of info out of there yeah yeah, both of those guys are highly intelligent, incredible musicians, very kind people. Like, I'm grateful to know both of them, for sure. Yeah, I am uh, like was not aware of this scene at all. And, like, so I guess we just, like, got lucky and, you know, got to the head of it right away. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Yeah, because that was the only band that I'd heard of yeah, dude. called Castle Metal. I don't, yeah, like, it's all fucking new to me, dude. So that was like when I seen that the hype sticker on the record of the Weld and Woe album said True Castle Metal, I was like, wow, Obsequia is the only other band that I've heard like defined as Castle yeah. Metal. So I'm like, I definitely got to check this out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a kind of a fun ploy at the, I guess I like to make fun of black metal stuff a lot because it's such a, a self-serious genre from a bunch of dudes who are like the nerdiest, most unserious people. So you, you always see the people online who are like, Oh, that's not true cult. Like with the yeah. TRVE. So yeah. we were just kind of poking fun at that being like, Oh, this is true castle metal. Like, and it's kind of funny and it just stuck. That's kind of what I thought it was. Like yeah, immediately I thought like of the, anyway. the cult thing. Cause I think, didn't you I got the record in front of me? Yeah. You even used a V and true. That's what, it made yeah. me think yeah. of, I was like... Yeah, that's exactly what it was. Yeah. How did you decide to, like, start making music inside of the genre of Castle Metal? Was it mostly Obsequii, like, inspiration? Or is it just, like, in a, stuff in a, that you're into in general? Because from your Instagram page and stuff, I can tell that you're into a lot of, like, fantasy type of stuff. Yeah. So the the backstory on World Woe is... Not particularly dense, but I'll give you a quick rundown. So basically, I've been doing music since I was like a freshman in high school in some capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, so up through high school, um, I played in like a psychobilly band for a while. And then in college, I met up with some other people. And then I started playing more kind of like post-rock instrumental concept record type stuff. And then really in my early 20s, so around... Um, 2014, 2015, is when metal really kind of started getting my attention. Like I had been into Metallica and power metal and like new metal and all that stuff through my like musical trajectory from teenagehood and all that stuff. But it was in 2015 when um, I heard the uh, Obsequii album, uh, Aria Vernal Tombs, that really I was like, okay, what is this? You know, because I'd, I'd always been in a Lord of the Rings Medieval kind of stuff had always had a very firm grip 
on my imagination and my my aesthetics like i knew that i really liked those things but didn't know if there was like a market for that kind of outside of like the goofy shit that power metal does with it you know with the conan the barbarian guys on the album covers and yeah yeah that shit, like, fucking shit hilarious and, like man of war and uh that yeah one, exactly that one, a Marth album where they were all dressed up like it was the worst album yeah. cover ever. But, but it was yeah, so I've I've never I've never really liked that kind of edge of the the medieval kind of sword and sorcery bit. It was that was not my thing. It always felt a little kitschy to me. Mm. And but then I heard Aria Vernal Tombs, and I was like, "What the fuck is this?" Like, there's I didn't I didn't know that this was a thing, right? Like, it grabbed me in such a visceral way that. I was immediately taken and it has been one of my favorite albums ever since. I listen to that album at least once a week, front to back all the time when I'm driving, like the way that Tanner uh, works in the acoustic instruments with, you know, the four or five guitars he's got going on a certain, like at any given time is just, I had never heard anything like it. I still don't hear anything like it. Like Obsequii is its own thing. And I always want it to be its own thing. And because it's Tanner, such a, a unique individual, I'm I'm fairly confident that it always will be. Obsequii is the one true Obsequii, and everybody else is, you know, imitators. Will the real Slim Shady please stand up? Kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah, Obsequii is it. Like that is like if I could pick one metal band for the rest of time, I would probably pick Obsequii. Maybe Bathory, probably Obsequii, just because it. It hits all the boxes. Um, it's it's beautiful. It's heavy. It's fast. It's dark. It's grim, but it's also uplifting and triumphant. Like it's all those things in one. And I didn't know that music could do that for me. Like Mozart used to get close, um, but Obsequii hits all those boxes. And so from then on, when I heard that album, I was like, I gotta, I gotta find some way to do something like that. Like it was very inspirational for me. And then around late. 2017 or so i started playing around with like some power metal stuff with like my the formation of my other band by fire and sword um was kind of me saying like okay here's my here's my foray into metal like i'm going to try it see if i can do it um it was kind of successful so we put a band together we started playing and then in 2018 i heard um inexorum for the first time and that was kind of when i got into like Immortal and Bathory and stuff like that. And uh, like the the veil of black metal was kind of lifted for me. Like it had always been kind of a, oh, those are the church burning dork guys off on the side. Most of it sucks. So I never really gave it the time of day, but I heard like Twilight of the Gods and Hammerheart and At the Heart of Winter and like those kind of seminal, really important albums. And I was like, oh no, there's depth to this. There's um, innovation and creativity and there's more to it than just like corpse paint because corpse paint has never been something that I cared about I'm like okay that's fine uh, it always felt like a a way to cover up uh, a lack of I guess musical quality being like oh look at how theatrical and serious and spooky this is and it also like complements how lo-fi everything is and the lo-fi stuff like never hit for me like I didn't I didn't like that I'm a I like high high quality sounding things for the most part. Um, but like in that summer of 2018 was when I heard at the heart of winter, Hammerheart, Lord of the lakes from Inexorum. And I was like, okay, I have to, like, I have to try something. And so I spent that summer putting together the first 
Wield and Woe EP, uh, Eternal Grave. You don't have to listen to it. It's not very good. I'm not I'm not very proud of it, but I, I keep it on the band camp because I'm like, this was a stepping stone. It's fun to look back and be like, oh, look at how far we've yeah, come. Yeah, fuck that. Be proud, um, man. <laughs> yeah, it's a, I'm not taking it down, but I also don't like and share it to people yeah, yeah, yeah. for the most part. <laughs> so I did that. That got some attention. Um, immediately had some interest in our local scene here in Boise to play some shows. So I put together a band and we started gigging out and then I started writing more music. And then it was in 2019 when uh, Obstacular's third album, Palms of Sarab Kings came out that I kind of was like, okay, that's the direction I need to go. Cause I kind of played with some of the thrashier black metal side stuff. It, it worked. It didn't like hit for me. I think it just isn't like where my wheelhouse lies creatively. Um, but then I started putting more of my intention into studying medieval music and listening to a lot of obsequii. And it kind of like, once I figured out, okay, castle metal is kind of the goal. That's what I'm going to shoot for. It became um, a, a really nice focus for me. And then we came out with our album, The Fate of Kings and Men in 2020, um, which I think was on its way. Like it had some of that more true cult riffage that I hadn't quite gotten away from yet, but it also had some of that um, experimentation into the castle metal stuff, which I think like some of it, like the song uh, Land of Forgotten Sons, I think is close or uh, the Fate of Kings of Men at the, the back end of the album. Like there's some of that in there. I'm still figuring out how to do that. And then once I, you know, unlocked the the key to the archives on how to do that, like what are the the scales and the modes and the harmonies required and the compositional elements of that, it was kind of off to the races. Um, and then that's how we ended up with For the Good of the Realm. So when did you start um, playing guitar? Because you obviously know what you're talking about and it sounds like you know what you're doing. <laughs> I try, or at least uh, I'm a good pretender. Um, I started playing guitar in 2003 when I was 13. Oh, right on. That's like, that's a pretty good, like, you know, the age that people start fucking wailing on guitars. It's awesome. Yeah, I, I started out playing the bass because all my friends played the guitar and none of them played the bass. And they were like, oh, well, that's a good way to make sure you always have somebody to play with because, you know, you don't want to put five guitar players together. So I started playing bass. And then I took to that really quickly. And at the time, I kind of felt like I outgrew it, which now in my 30s is incredibly naive because the bass is a very complex instrument when played correctly. But Well, as a um, kid, yeah, you're like, I want to be Jimi Hendrix, you know, or whatever it is. I distinctly remember seeing like a bright yellow Ibanez RG at a pawn shop when I was there with my dad and being like, I want to play that guitar and definitely not this crappy four-string Ibanez bass that i had um i still have it actually somewhere but i also started um, an ibanez bass at one time oh yeah it was like an ibanez geo sound oh, gear yeah, something like that like bucks or something I, yeah I, if they paid that much for it then i feel bad for them but right, right. yeah that's that's kind of how i got my start and then i um was real into god this was the early 2000s so it was like a combination of pop punk and like new metal stuff like i was real big into Limp Biscuit, and I'm sorry for everybody who's listening that they find that disappointing in me, but um, really liked Limp Biscuit at the time. Linkin Park was huge. Uh, my introduction into Metallica was actually um, St. Anger, so it was all <laughs> brutal. It, all an improvement from there. Yeah. Be like, Metallica, yeah. geez, man, guitar they solos, can, what? They can really only go <laughs> yeah. up from there. Yeah, that's true. 
That's a yeah. If, I mean, that if, sense, that's a good I always place tell to people start. that if I if I started with sane anger and I liked it, it was only going to get better. Like <laughs> right. everything was just a vast improvement after yeah. that point. I do remember being a kid and seeing the sane anger video on MTV when it came out, and they was like in a prison or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I that had, was pretty hard. I and they're all wearing Metallica. And shit. Yeah, yeah. I had heard Metallica like before that, just because I don't know the area we live in, like. Metallica, ACDC, Pantera. Pantera, that stuff is all very Jackal. prevalent. Um, mm. Yeah, Jackal, and especially now that they just came here. People are like, I fucking love Jackal. They're, like, like, the they're all walking only... around with chainsaws. Yeah, and that's the only song they know. Anyway. Um, yeah, but I had seen and heard Metallica, or not seen them, but seen them on TV, you know, um, and heard them prior to that. But St. Anger was like, I just didn't care for it. And most people don't. Yeah, I didn't have an alternative Metallica experience, so I was like, this is kind of cool, considering that right. at most of the time I was listening to, like, Incubus and Nirvana and Linkin Park and stuff like that. So I was like, oh, this is this goes pretty hard, but, like, obviously, obviously not having any other point of reference. Yeah, yeah, if you don't have anything else to go off of. I will say that the snare sound didn't work for them in that album, but I have heard other bands pull that sound off. It's just I don't think it went with what they were trying to do because the snare is what fucks everybody up on that album I think because it just sounds like yeah. ringing a you know like a tin keg or something. And I mean, you get kind of that a very similar vibe out of a lot of like slam, like that that subsection of yeah. death metal where they have that very tight, tight, ringy snare. Yeah. I don't typically like that. Some bands it works and some bands it doesn't, but usually that's a put off for me. And I don't think that I really cared when I was thirteen, but I definitely don't listen to San Anger now just because it <laughs> I, I can't imagine a like a room full of grown ass men sat around and went, Yep, this is good. Let's put it out. Like it's hard to <laughs> hard to fathom. Oh my God. There's Fucking... so many albums and records that I wonder like what were they thinking? Yeah. Yeah. But I know that was like around a weird, you know, period in their career when they were all doing that some kind of monster shit and they were all like fresh yeah. out of rehab. Like, or Let's something. try to get on Ospas. Yeah. <laughs> But anyways, um, screw Metallica, we're here for you. <laughs> so when you were making the... So after the fate of Kings of Men, like you started, did you immediately start on For the Good of the Realm? Or did it kind of... You let the other one simmer for a little bit, and then you were like, okay, I'm going to try this and this differently moving forward? I'm not one who really rests on my laurels too much. Like, I I tend to release something and then am excited about it for a week or whatever. And then I go, okay, clap my hands and move on to the next thing. So I'm kind of right. always writing. Like I have, I have an incredibly large uh, folder on my hard drive of just like riff ideas and songs that I should work on and stuff like that. So I kind of always have the next thing lined up, ready to go. Uh, one of the benefits of also working with by fire and sword a lot is that once I'm done with one thing, I move, I can like change channels for a second. So we, we put out the fate of Kings and men. And then I went and wrote um, or finished writing and working on uh, the next by fire and sword record. So I can kind of jump back and forth and they're different enough in what I'm attempting to do that. It is, it keeps me musically sharp, but I'm not like nose to the grindstone burning myself out on what I'm trying to do. So it's beneficial in that way, but I kind of jumped right into, okay, I have the next batch of stuff ready to go. I have more music. 
Um, and so we took some time. We did a tour in between there. Um, that was when I solidified the band, really, because we were still, um, it was still just me when we put out The Fate of Kings of Men. And then after that, I solidified the full lineup. We did a tour. There was some other label stuff that kind of fell through in there. Um, but yeah, all like throughout the meantime of all of that, I was I was working on For the Good of the Realm. So yeah, the first album, you, did you do all, all of that yourself then? Like, was that all your instrumentation? Uh, so the fate of Kings and Men, um, I played all the guitars and all the bass, and I did all the vocals, and I did all of the synth and like choir programming and stuff. Uh-huh. But I had um, the dude who was playing drums in By Fire and Sword play the drums on that record. Are you singing in By Fire and Sword too? Uh, no, I just... Uh, write all the music and okay. play guitar and bass. I was going to say, because that's like an impressive change in vocals from Wield and Woe to By Fire and Sword. No, that's definitely not me. <laughs> yeah, like I'm, I lean more towards the, the uh, Wield and Woe side of things as far as the vocals sure. go. Yeah. So on Yeah, they're for... both strong flavors. <laughs> oh, yeah, they're polar opposites, right. but in a way have a lot of similarities too. But sound-wise, it's, you know, night and day. Yeah, I'm just speaking vocally. Yeah. So um, for the good of the realm, all the different instruments in there, because I've heard, like, uh, I think there was a song that had a little bit of bagpipes in it somewhere and, like, a couple other, you know, chimey, like, Mellotron-sounding things, and I don't know exactly what's what in there, but what was that all actual instruments, or is it programmed, or...? Uh, those are programmed. Okay. They're, um, so there's there's a lute, there's a psaltery, there's some bagpipes... Um, there's various like hand drums um, in there, but those are all those are all software. Okay, it's amazing what you can do now with that stuff, man. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, they sound so good. Like the quality of plugins just gets better and better every year. If I had access to those instruments, I would have preferred to have them actually performed and recorded, but. Yeah, but I, I like live in just not a grab cultural a bagpipe out of nowhere or like a right, or right, or a, <laughs> yeah, or like a what they call it, like a gothic guitar. Like where the fuck am I gonna find that? I live yeah. in Boise, Idaho. Right. You know, like yeah, you can't just find like, people so, in all over the world. Walk to your corner and pick yeah. up a harpsichord and be like, all right, thanks. I'm gonna head back Maybe home. Right. Learn how to play this thing real quick. Yeah, yeah. So I spent a lot of money on having really nice plugins so that I can do that. That's what's thing. up. Yeah, I was surprised to find out that the drums on Majesties were programmed when we did that. I was like, dude, it sounds so real. And he's all humble about it. Yeah. Like, yeah, it wasn't that hard. Those I'm are like, probably yeah. the, <laughs> some of the best programmed drums I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, the drums and all the uh, Inexorum stuff that Carl and Matt do, that's all programmed too, and they sound so good. Oh, I didn't know that either. Learned something new. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for the good of the realm, uh, Lord Mayo was probably like my favorite track on there. Um and I know it had no vocal in it, but just that instrument is just so catchy. The the whole thing, start to finish, I play it all the time. And it, like, rings in my head constantly. I'm just, like, playing it out to myself. That's awesome. That's a, So that one's a cover. I didn't write that. It's a, a Celtic folk tune from, like, it's a folk tune, so who knows how old it is. But right. um, there's a an, uh, an arrangement for, a, like, a flute. Or like a penny whistle or whatever instrument she's playing, that was done uh, in the early mid '90s. I think it was '96 by a um, an artist called Joni Madden, 
Um, and she released it on an album called, I think like songs for the flute or songs for the Irish flute, if I recall. And I heard it one day when I was driving to work and I was like, God, this slaps, this is so good. And then I needed another track for, for the good of the realm. And I wanted to do something that was an adaptation of a folk song. So I, uh, I dug up her version of that song and then I arranged it for guitar and uh, it turned out really good. I'm super stoked on that one. A lot of people say that that's their favorite one. And I'm like, hey, that's really awesome. And then also like, it also kind of sucks because that's like the one that <laughs> yeah, I didn't write. Didn't but <laughs> yeah, but but I mean, that's fine. I arranged it and played the like played some of the guitars and stuff and it turned out really awesome. So it, it doesn't hurt feelings. It's just so much like that's the one I didn't do. Yeah, you know? I think it's just because it's so like catchy and it, you know, it's one of them earworm type of things where once you hear Absolutely. it, you're, you're playing it in your head. Yeah, I'm sure it grabbed you for the same reason it grabbed me. Yeah, so. but every track on the record is good. I mean, there's no like skippable songs or songs that are, you're like, oh, I like this one less or whatever, but the, yeah, through and through is all good. Like on um, In Fire and Steel and Flesh, I really like the layered vocals where it has towards the end, there's a your higher pitch scream is like front and center and then in the background there's sort of a lower guttural type of scream going on yeah that's the other guitar player brent he has um a really good like death metal growl um and so we wanted to showcase some of that because it just it makes for a nice juxtaposition to have yeah my kind of shouty scream with his nice low growl so yeah we decided we were going to work some of that in just because it, it works cool. Like it sounds, works cool is terrible English. It sounds good and works well. <laughs> that's what I meant to say. When did, how did you figure out that you have this scream that you have? Cause it's pretty particular. I mean, it's like a higher pitched kind of belting out scream. It's not like a, the typical like death metal style, low vocal or it, it fits the music. Well, I think, cause I think if you put like a, corpse grinder vocal over the music it wouldn't fit right yeah that that's kind of yeah it would turn me off as well yeah it's so that's kind of a a very personal journey for everybody who, who like finds their voice more or less so to speak like i played around with a bunch of different things for a lot of years when like i was still trying to figure out what wield and woe sounded like mm-hmm. um so like if, if you listen to the fate of kings and men the the vocals on that sound way different than they do on for the good of the realm. They're way more processed. I was trying to do kind of like a, a more mid range lower thing in a lot of ways. And that just kind of like, it did, it didn't feel right to me for this. And so some of the, some of the, I guess, insider secrets on this is I have a, uh, a strong background in theatrical performance. Like my, my college degree is in um, theater and then I have another one in history. So I uh, really tried to put myself in the, the mental frame of like somebody who is anguished, I guess would be the best way to describe it was like basically every song on this record is some sort of a rumination on death. Like, did I live a good life? Was my life worth anything? Am I, living a life worth being proud of. Like when I die, will I have mattered? Like that kind of thing over and over and over just in different ways. And so I kind of wanted the the vocal performance to match that vibe of like, you know, maybe, maybe my life got cut short or I am in existential crisis all of the time. Like 
you know, when you live in a period of time with such an incredibly high mortality rate where, you know, a dog bite or an arrow or getting pneumonia or something, you know, is, you don't know if you're going to get through that. Right. So I, I wanted to kind of have that experience through the vocals and I think it works. I think I did it, but um, it definitely ended up being more of that, like high pitched anguished scream than like a, like a death metal growl for sure. Cause that, that was the intention was like, this is so damn stressful, you know, like it wasn't, did my life matter, you know, was the the impetus behind all of that. I like that when you're listening, like to me from the small amount of castle metal bands that I've heard, it paints a whole like visual picture in your head when you're listening to it. Cause like, I always picture like, you know, with your music, there's like a dude on a mountaintop over like a battlefield that's, you know, ridden with bodies and is like screaming out for, uh, you know, victory or vengeance or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. And I like that it gives you those visuals. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we focus very heavily on the vibe, like the, I want listening to a wheel and roll record to be an experience that is beyond maybe like the surface level experience of listening to music. Like I want you to have that kind of elevated, Oh, this makes me think of Lord of the Rings or gladiator or something like that, you know, where you're like, Oh, Hey, there's, there's a a higher intention behind this than maybe like, I don't know, putting on a mad ball record, you know, uh, not to shit on Madball. I love Madball. Yeah, but, I beg to uh, differ that statement too, <laughs> like a lot. Well, well for I'm, for sure. Like I'm, I'm not into the uh, the hardcore political elements, but I mean, as far as like the usually when I listen to Madball, it makes me want to like start punching people and like throwing shit around my room. So, kind of a maybe a, a more of a, a cerebral. I don't even know. I don't know that I'm explaining that right. It's like it's such a, a particular thing that I'm trying to do that I, I struggle to articulate it sometimes, but like, I want that elevated, maybe kind of existential experience in a way, um, maybe retract the mad ball statement. Whereas like <laughs> <laughs> less of a, l- less of an immediately physical response and more of a, Oh wow. Like I'm, there's a lot happening here, but I mean, like that a cerebr- happens with all music, right? just, like, you're just saying like your shit's coming out. It's like a cerebral, like, escape more so than like physical like like you said that shit makes you want to fucking throw shit and to me it makes me fucking feel good and like laugh you know it's like the opposite yeah yeah exactly but i can like you know throw it on and punch some motherfuckers too you know (laughs) hey whatever whatever you want to do man (laughs) it's all it's all good with me so writing this record do you have like a any was there any like period of time and inspiration that was gone into the writing because i can't read any of the lyrics so i you know only can pick out just bits and pieces here and there that you can fully decipher no not necessarily it's all meant to be evocative of that period uh to give you that kind of romantic era of chivalry and knights and all that kind of stuff but it's not specific to a time period it's not a history lesson it's not Mm -hmm. anything like that i'm not i'm not telling the tale of charlemagne or things like that it's supposed to just be you know uh a a glimpse into the life of someone in that period of time without being specific to a a place or a region or anything like that i mean the cover art kind of 
has a strong English vibe to it, but yeah, that that's, was uh, that's an actual painting, isn't it? Yeah, that's a, a painting from 1911 called "Stitching the Standard" by Edmund Blair Layton, who was an English painter. And I would imagine that's pretty much just public domain at this point. Like, you didn't have to, like, reach out to the estate of them and be like, hey, yeah. can I use this? I'll cut you a check. No, like, when I when I found it, I was like, oh, I have to use this. I'm going to save it and come back to it. And then when it came time for us to, like, actually put together the cover art, uh, I did quite a lot of research um, to make sure that it was public domain and that I could use it. Just because I didn't, I didn't need some dead guy's estate snapping back at me with a lawsuit or something, right? Like a lot of the times, a band at our level could probably get away with it without anyone noticing. I mean, that kind of shit happens all of the time. So it's very unlikely that we probably would have drawn anyone's attention unless someone specifically ratted us out. But uh, I did a lot of research to make sure that it was public domain so that I would be safe to use it. Yeah, it would be pretty odd, like you said pretty odd for somebody to just be going through you know like oh what's this cast dungeon okay oh they stole this painting like i just i don't see anybody out there fucking doing that you know they're like the right. heir to and, the family yeah, it's yeah, like that was like, my fucking yeah, there's mother like one for like every artist you know like just yeah. cruising these doubt it and and using existing works of art is such a prevalent thing in black metal anyways right. that like you know, if you're going to call me out, but you're not going to call out um, fucking Wormwitch or Bathory or any of the other bands that do it, then, like, that's just you having some sort of beef with me. Right, right. Because, yeah, you're like, what are you going to get out of my pocket, dude? Go after somebody right. that has. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, because the album artwork for Hammerheart, like, they didn't, right. they didn't make that themselves. I'm right. pretty sure it was an artist. No, and that the same thing with uh, Twilight of the Gods and Bloodfire Death. Like, all those are existing paintings that Corthon was like that's a good one yeah. <laughs> like we'll use that one what about the back of your record was that an existing painting too or is that something else no that's the same dude um that one is called uh, let me go grab my copy of the record so i don't misspeak so that one is called the accolade i think okay I don't uh barry ann actually picked all of those oh. um so yeah i think the one on the back is called the accolade and then the one that's actually on the record, which was like the A and the B side, is from um, another painting by the same guy called Godspeed. Oh, yeah. I just now am noticing that they're all different. Yeah, all works by the same guy. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, that's dope. Which are very fitting. She made great choices. She has a, a really good eye for that kind of aesthetics. So how did you link up with Fiat then? Like for, was it, did you already know her prior to Wield and Woe, or was that like a new relationship? Uh, that was a new relationship. So we wrapped on the mixing and mastering process for, for the good of the realm about a year ago, almost exactly. It was about mid-February. And so Brent and I sat down one day at a Starbucks and we just listed out every record label that we could think of who might be interested in us. So we, we shot big with like Metal Blade, Napalm, Nuclear Blast, Peaceville, Prosthetic, Profound Lore, 20 Bucks Spin, Osmos, Hammerheart, Black Lion, True Cult, uh, Dark Descent, like all, like every record label that we could find a mention of online right. who accepted demos. And so, oh, you know, over the course of several months, we submitted demos to, I think it was 50 or 55 different labels. 
And for the most part, uh, all of them either ignored us or told us no. We did get a reply back from Metal Blade who said, this is cool, but we can't do it. No, thank you. Hit us again later, which was cool. Um, Sounds like and nothing's then, changed over like the last 70 years in music, you know? like <laughs> yeah. yeah, like they yeah, don't, everybody they don't says, accept it till they yeah. see that there's numbers behind it's it like, type of thing. Right. Yeah, exactly. So we, we did all those submissions and then it was actually like, and then, and this is like a dumb musician anxiety, self-conscious thing, but like it was starting to have like a pretty big effect on my self-esteem that nobody wanted my stupid record after like, God, it, it had been like five months of us trying. So by the end of June or the early July, I was in a discord server with some other people talking about how like, man, nobody wants my record. I think it's really good, but like nobody gives me the time of day. And I forget who it was, but someone was like, oh, you should try Fear Productions. Um, I had not heard of Fear Productions. So I looked it up and I was like, I don't know. It's kind of cutesy, like (laughs) a lot of cute little animals and shit all over the place. I don't know if this is going to be my bag, but I emailed uh, our demo to Fear Productions and I wrote a really nice note and was like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm submitting this for your consideration blah, 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 blah. And then like 10 days went by and I didn't like, I had no response. So at this point in time, I was just mad (laughs) at everyone about all of this. So I emailed her back or I replied to my own email and went, okay, so this is clearly a no. Um, I would, I would love to know what I could have done differently. Like what in my approach wasn't good? What could I improve on? Uh, And then she emailed back and she's like, oh no, I actually really like it and would love to put it out. Uh, She had like just had a baby and like was busy with stuff, but she wrote me back. Hey, I love this. I'd like to put it out. Uh, And then the rest is history. She put it out in the beginning of September. So there's a pretty quick turnaround on that. And uh, it's been a golden relationship since. Yeah. From like what I've talked to her, like she said, had nothing but good things to say about you. And then same with you to her. Uh, Barry Ann is easily like a top five person in my life. Like she's a, a very good friend. And uh, I often refer to her as like the queen of the realm. She like, you know, this is, this is her kingdom. We all just live in it. Uh, so yeah, she's been incredibly important to the development of Will and Woe as a band specifically through this record and like her mentorship and her, her effort and care that she puts into all of our releases. And she's been so supportive of us uh, and like the whole FIA network in general has been really receptive to this weird ass cast metal band from Idaho. Um, so I, I could not thank Barry Ann enough times over the course of a thousand years, if I had the opportunity. So uh, I'm just going to try to continue to put out really good music that she can sell and hope <laughs> that that evens out. Yeah. There's your thank you. In our interview, man, she seems like a, um, like a super dope, like, just caring, nice, genuine person, you know, and those are hard to find. She is very much one of the best people, like in general, that I know. Like her her heart is too large for her body. She cares so much about so many things, but like specifically just her animal activism, it's like talking to her and seeing how much she cares about animals and, you know, disenfranchised groups and people who can't defend themselves. It's very touching and often makes me feel bad about myself. Oh yeah, for sure, man. Like I was thinking that too. I was like, man, I could really be doing a whole lot more. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And she does. She 1000% puts her money where her mouth is like all of the time. I have a random 
question. You just reminded me that I wanted to ask this when you said Idaho. What are there other metal bands from Ohio, Idaho? Because I've never like. I believe you're one of maybe like two people that I've ever talked to from Idaho. Oh, uh, well, I love that for you. Um, (laughs) So yes, there are um, actually quite a large number of bands, um, at least in the Boise scene right now. I figured there Um, had to be, but I was like, I couldn't rattle my brain of anybody that I'm like, Oh yeah, they're from Idaho. Yeah. So uh, right now, probably the biggest musical export that Boise has would be Magic Sword. Um, if you're familiar with Magic Sword, they're kind of like a EDM electronic group. Like they had a, a song in the uh, uh, the Thor Ra- Love and Thunder movie that came out a couple years ago. Like oh, they, they tour the quite a bit. Yeah. So they're, they're very popular. Um, we have a very prominent hardcore scene. Um, actually, so we have several bands. Uh, Ingrown would be the probably the biggest one in that scene right now. Like they just went on tour with like Immolation last year, um, and I think they just did another tour recently. But like, there there's some heavy hitters. They play with some pretty big bands. Um, so yeah, Ingrown rocks. We have another one called Witness Chamber. Who Witness are Witness Chamber's dope. Just, I, I've listened to them. Yeah, so those are the homies from Boise. Those guys are awesome. Another group of people who just like put their money where their mouth is, you know, like that's my favorite thing about the hardcore scene is like those guys care like behind all of the, the macho, like get in the pit bullshit that goes on. Like they care. And I I really respect them for that. So ingrown and witness chamber are big. Uh, We have some death metal bands that are kind of popping off. Um, There's one in particular called Texas ketamine who just signed to maggot stomp. Okay, I know, I know the label, name, dude. I like that name. Yeah, I know the label. I, yeah, I'm not familiar with the band though. Yeah, they just signed pretty recently. I think it was in like late October or November. They, I don't think they have a release out yet, but they did just sign, and they're a big deal around here. They rock. Uh, we have some other like uh, stonery psych doom bands. So there's one called Gorot, who are some dear friends of ours who are really cool. Um, think like, oh, man. Like sleep, if sleep had faster riffs, it's kind of a blackened doom thing. So a lot of riffs, um, really sick vocals. So if you're into doom, I would check out Gorot. Uh, it's it's got uh, Chad Remains in it, who used to be a member of a band called Uzula from I think kind of like the earlier 2010s. Um, they were a pretty prominent doom band for a while. But I mean, Chad's been around for decades, so I think he knows like everybody everywhere. Um, trying to think i mean obviously we have built to spill who continue to do things all of the time but as far as like metal in idaho goes we have a, a, a strong death metal scene um and then we have a strong hardcore scene as far as black metal goes there there's getting some more but for a long time it was kind of just us uh there's this other band called possessive who are kind of like a crust black metal mashup who are excellent um, there's a black metal band called Tempestari that kind of splits time between Boise and I think Minnesota. So it's around. Some of it tends to be more underground, but we've had some more spotlight on our scene lately, which has been really helpful. Yeah. I figure every state has to have their scene in some capacity or another. I just, I never been to Idaho. Like we're in Michigan. So that's a long yeah. stretch away from 
especially right. for underground bands where you're like you know some a lot of times it'll be when they're emerging they're popular in that state maybe the surrounding states but when you get from coast to coast and you might not have heard it yeah i mean like Bo- boise has a lot of bands and it um we have this weird relationship to like the rest of the northwest and kind of the west coast where we're kind of considered part of the pacific northwest I think most of the Pacific Northwest would say that we aren't. Um, and then we're kind of West, <laughs> but like, like we not really. You. Well, that's yeah, kind of, I like, guess, how we would be like. Take your potatoes. I would kind of consider us more East Coast-ish, but we're really, we're Midwest. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. But I still and feel like. Michigan's a very East Coast right, attitude. Right, though. right. Yeah. And one of the things that's interesting about Boise is that we are as far as like a music scene goes, we're kind of geographically isolated in a way We're like the closest big city to us is salt Lake and it's five hours or like Seattle is an eight hour drive. Portland, Oregon is a six hour drive. Um, How big is Reno Boise? is like population wise. Do you know? Uh, I think it's like just over 200,000. Oh, so it's not that big at all. I mean, depending on who you ask. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I mean for not a city, small. you know what I'm saying? Like, I guess, for a, I, for like a proper city, it's not very large. Right. The I think so. We're in an area called the Treasure Valley, which is a handful of cities, um, and I think it is, oh, man, nearing a million total over like six or seven individual cities. We've had a very large population growth over the last five to seven years I from people from the West Coast moving here. Yeah. Like this not is a California. hot spot to move to from. Well, it's all the conservative people who don't like Oregon, Washington, or California who move here. Uh, and then they they move here and buy incredibly large lifted trucks and guns and assume that like that's what we're all about. Yeah, feel that kind of a <laughs> stupid <laughs> intellectual <laughs> fallacy. Like you live here, dude. Yeah, we got yeah. we got a lot of that going on. Too. Oh, a fucking redneck. Yeah, but my point with that was that it's it's all like if you're not incredibly driven to get out of the Boise scene and tour and play around, it can be hard to do so because. Touring is expensive. It's a big drain on your personal relationships and your finances and getting out to do it is, is a, a large commitment. So even doing a weekender in, in our area is hard because like I said, Seattle is eight hours away. Portland's five. Salt Lake is five. And if you're trying to go like Seattle, Portland, Salt Lake, you have to skip a day in between Portland and Salt Lake, which is what a lot of bands do. So when bands tour through our area, they'll go, Denver, Salt Lake, skip Boise, and then go to Portland or Seattle. Like just so they can make that extra drive. We get bypassed all the time for stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean it's been better in the last couple years, but yeah, it's just it's a it's a geographically isolated area that can be hard to get out of, as opposed to like our friends and bands in the East Coast where it's like, oh, I don't know, Boston and New York is like what, two hours? And then from there it's two hours to Philly or I mean I'm throwing numbers out, but the point is it's much shorter. Right. Oh, um, we we always have to make a make a drive too, so we feel that because we're dude, pretty isolated. We're like four, three and a half, four, depending on your driving habits, north of Detroit. Gotcha. Okay. So, and we don't get like many shows around here just because we don't. I think we're about an hour from the closest interstate in Gaylord. Yeah. So, like to for a band to come here, they're not 
there's no passing through because if you pass through, you're at a lake. Like there's no going anywhere else. <laughs> right, so right. I mean, it's hard for oh, them right, to right. just, just make a stop here. Totally right. There's a lake. Yeah, like you're going into fucking Huron. Like there's no. It's not like you're gonna be like, oh, we're going up to Mackinac and doing a show there. Like you're not gonna have the turnout that you're hoping for up there. It's just <laughs> the people yeah. are not there. Um, yeah, that like, means like we that pack out shows in Boise. They just don't though. stop here. Oh yeah, for sure. Just looking through your Instagram, uh, it was late last year you did kind of a little mini tour in California, Nevada, Arizona, New Mexico, et cetera. Do you have any yeah, plans we did, to tour this year? Uh, yeah, so it's not currently announced, but we're um, going up to Canada for, I think, just over a week to do a tour with some of our Canadian friends in a band called Sun Eater. Oh, so we're doing like a... Yeah, so we're we're doing a tour with them. It's not currently announced, but uh, they reached out to us last year after the album dropped and said, "Hey, if you ever, yeah, now it is." Uh, <laughs> said, "Hey, if you ever want to come out to Canada, we'll book a tour." And I I took them up on it, and they they did. Um, so we're doing okay, that at the end you, of March. Man. Yeah, yeah, it was very kind of them, and I'm super stoked that they thought of us. Um, so we're doing that at the end of March, and then it will be announced, I think, tomorrow. So by the time this episode comes out. Um, we're playing a festival in, uh, Washington outside of Seattle called Cascadian Midsummer. Um, and so we're going to do a handful of dates around that as well, but so that'll be at the end of June. And then after that, I think we're just taking the rest of the year to work on the next album. We have a bunch of writing to do, and we're kind of changing up the way that we do the writing process. So we're just going to spend the rest of the year, um, workshopping and writing and getting stuff ready to go for next year. How are you changing the writing process? You guys like wearing full plates of armor and stuff while you're writing? (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. So previously, um, I wrote everything. I wrote all the lyrics. I wrote all of the music. I even, to a large degree, kind of wrote the drum parts. And so we're changing that up to be a a more collaborative process where uh, where we are, like, for instance, I will write half a song or kind of come up with like the bones, the bone structure of a song and take it to the guys at the rehearsal space. And then we, we flush it out as a group just so that everybody has a, not, a, not an equal say, but like gets their chance to have creative input because they deserve that and they want it. And I'm very much open to that process because it is a lot of responsibility to be like, Oh, I write all of the songs. Right. I mean, that's been successful clearly, but the other guys in the band are highly intelligent, incredibly incredibly skilled musicians. So I want their input. It just was like, I'm kind of a control freak. I already had a bunch of the music written. So it was just kind of easier to roll that way. And especially with Will the Most history of being a solo project, I was I was kind of hesitant to let go of some of that. But you know, you know, after playing with these guys for several years, I'm like, nope, you guys, I can trust you. Uh, we can do this as a group. And so far the results have been really, really good. I can't obviously share anything with you guys, but right. it rocks. It's going to be different. Um, they have very different backgrounds and styles than I do solely, but it's, it's going to be, I think it's going to be a very welcome breath of fresh air. Cause I certainly don't want to put out for the good of the realm again. Right. Which is a strong possibility. If I'm the person doing all the songwriting, I have a very unique specific style, but these guys have strong, strong backgrounds in other genres. Um, two of the guys, the other guitar player, Brent and the, the drummer, Isaiah, both play in like an experimental death metal band called Aterama. So they have other, other influences that they bring to the table. Obviously we're, we're very cognizant of the 
this isn't a death metal band. We're certainly not experimental in that way. So we kind of are making sure to, to keep the, the things in check on that kind of thing. Make right. sure it is a, a proper castle metal record. But like Brent comes up with melodies that I would never think to come up with just because he has a, such a different background. Yeah. So it'll be it'll be really, really cool. And that's good moving forward because you already have, like you said earlier, you kind of from the first album to the second album, like unlocked the secret that you were looking for to Castle Metal. So moving forward, like you have that foundation that you were looking for. Now you guys can build as a group together off that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I definitely look forward to hearing more. I was going to ask, but you already answered, if you had plans to do another record following this. And I know I didn't mean to ask that as like, a, give us more already. I just know, like you, know, <laughs> you said, you gotta, you're got you always writing. You always got stuff to um, put out, like that you're on a, you got your stuff on a hard drive and you're always kind of tinkering around with songs and melodies with guitar, bass, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, we're going to keep putting out records till people stop buying them. Or, you know, something happens that, you know, means signals the end of the band or whatever. But, um, yeah, we are absolutely releasing one next year, probably through FIA again, unless, you know, Metal Blade swoops in and says, <laughs> hey, we're sorry we rejected you. Please change your mind. And then I have to have a very uncomfortable conversation with Barry Ann. She actually would be incredibly excited for us. But, you know, funny jokes aside. We just start talking about hockey to Brian Schlegel at Metal Blade, and then you, that'll be your in. Study up your hockey yeah. facts. Wait, I which know... team? I mean, I'm I'm a hockey fan, so I could probably talk for a while, but <laughs> I don't think he likes my team. So yeah, I don't even know what team he actually likes. He's he's from L.A., so whatever fucking the Kings. Yeah, the Kings. Maybe it's probably the Kings or the Ducks, which sinks. I just I don't know think from it's the Ducks. Man. I just know I don't from think like they his were book, around. the Mighty Mighty Ducks. Yeah, like the Mighty Ducks. Anaheim, yeah. they weren't around. Oh, probably. Anaheim, that's right. I was trying to think of the, the city. Yeah, it's the Mighty Ducks of Anaheim. Yeah. I was thinking the movie, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Same thing. Yeah, he's, he's, he's from L.A. He's probably a Kings fan. Yeah. Well, there you go. That's your end. Maybe. Wayne. I wanted to, before we like start getting towards the end of things here, Like I wanted to, and we talked about this briefly in a post, I want to talk about Hammerheart twilight of the gods and why you like Let's. why you like hammerheart more not that it's not worthy of being the better of the two i'm not saying that i'm just curious what does it for the record for you i think it's a good question um i think it's probably one of those things where there's a good bit of nostalgia for it uh, i found hammerheart first before i found twilight of the gods mm-hmm. um it was an influential record to me in the creation of the band, which, which gives it a lot of heart points for me, like uh, hammer heart. Um, But like, it it has a a very special place in my heart where it was just like a very formative record for me. It, it spurred one of the best things in my life to ever happen to me kind of thing. So that gives it a lot of, a lot of weight in the rubric of why I think it's important. Um, I also think that my favorite songs off of Hammerheart, I just like them better than what I would think would be like the best song off of Twilight of the Gods. Um, like a couple years ago, we did a compilation or we contributed to a compilation for one of the dudes from Chornabog. He was going through like, he had some family drama or something that was happening that needed some medical expenses. And so we contributed a cover of Baptized in Fire and Ice 
which is probably one of my favorite Bathory songs. It's my favorite song off of Hammerheart, but um, it's probably one of my favorite Bathory songs ever. There's there's just something about that record. I don't know. Like it, it has a very sincere, like authentic energy to it. Like, like Corthon's not a good clean vocalist. Like his clean vocals are like kind of kind of messy, and he's he's can be pitchy. Yeah, but it sure. it just feels very authentic. Like, and I love that. Like, I love that above you know, it being pitch perfect and whatever, like the whole record is like just a hair messy. Like the production's obviously not terrific, but there's, there's something about like, it feels like he's talking to me, you know, like he, he's singing and I feel like I'm the only person in the room when I hear it. And I I'm finding as I, you know, talk about these influences in different interviews and stuff that like certain music has that, that effect on me where like it makes me feel not noticed, but like, I'm the only person listening to it. Like that person has a direct channel to me when I'm listening to it. And I, I didn't have that same response to Twilight of the Gods. Uh, I, I think Twilight of the Gods is probably a top four Bathory for me, but there's between like the cover art, the nostalgic factor of Hammerheart and just the songs on Hammerheart. That one's my favorite and probably always will be. Uh, I think it's, kind of those like the sum is greater than the parts experiences where it just it hit me at the right time in my life and then when i when i found twilight of the gods i didn't have that same response to it it's excellent i listen to it all the time it just didn't have that same gut punch right uh experience for me yeah i will say hammerheart definitely wins in the cover art department um, and I love the record. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying there's anything whatsoever wrong with it. I think that the slightly bad production kind of adds to the charm of the album. Like I, when I think like, you know, Vikings and stuff like that, like I don't think of it being like a clean, pristine type of thing. So I think the dirty production uh, complemented it well. Yeah, 1000 percent. Like it, it feels very like funeral chanty kind of to me or like what i would imagine like a viking campfire song would sound like it has that kind of raw authentic kind of brute force energy to it in a way yeah that probably didn't make any sense but it made a lot of sense in my head when i was thinking it no, I get what and, you're saying. but yeah it just like it is very authentic feeling to me and with all the like the norwegian stuff that's so popular in the last you know five years or so with all their like top knot braids and perfectly manicured beards, like that, that kind of like Viking stuff pisses me off where like, and then I go listen to Bathory. I'm like, no, that's it. You know, like that's the vibe. Yeah. Cause it's not like they were supposed to be like a, a beautiful people. <laughs> like they were, they were fucking, you know, dirty land pirates basically. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. So how it do just, you feel it, about... it, it hits so nice. How do you feel about Bloodfire Death then? Because I know that's kind of the transitioning from black metal to Viking metal. To me, that's my, I love my favorite Death. record of theirs. Yeah, I love Bloodfire Death. And a lot of times, I mean, depending on what I know about the person, their musical background, Bloodfire Death is the album that I'll send someone first. Mm-hmm. If they're like, oh, you know, recommend Bathory to me. I'm like, okay, you should check out Bloodfire Death because that's kind of like as far as I'm concerned, Bathory's, you know, master of puppets. Like if you like this, you'll probably like everything else. Yeah. Um, I love Bloodfire Death. I think, I think that album rocks. Uh, I listen to it not as frequently, but um, you know, like Pace Till Death. Like I, I hear Pace Till Death in my head all the time. 
<laughs> like, especially when I'm walking around like Costco buying groceries, like based on that. <laughs> I, I think about that all the time for no good reason. My, uh, my son wore a blood fire death shirt to school for picture day. I can't remember if it was last year. Or is it? No, it was the year before. Cause he did cannibal corpse last year, but, uh, his, <laughs> that rocks. His mom was like, Oh, you can't wear that to school. Like it's got naked people on it. And he's like, they don't even have nipples, mom. It's fine. And like, <laughs> I was like, well, he's, right. he's got you there. It like was just a cover shirt with like the horses. Yeah. And with shit. the horses and the angels and stuff yeah. on there. Yeah. I could see them yeah. getting pissed about that. They let him wear it. Like yeah, he's got his sixth grade picture with nice. Bathory blood fire death t-shirt. <laughs> that rocks. And obviously um, not a lot of people pick up on this, but blood fire death was, very important to me because my username on all my platforms is Bloodfire Jeff. Yeah, that so, was immediately yeah. I noticed that. Like when I found your yeah. Instagram, I was like, "Oh, cool pun." Yeah, one hundred percent a bathroom reference. Like being so, I've always considered being named Jeff to be somewhat unfortunate, just because it's like such a goofy ass name for white people that seems to get thrown around <laughs> a bunch with people like Jeff Dunham or now like Jeffrey Epstein and like all that shit. I'm like, there's a whole bunch of people named Jeff that I don't really want to be associated with, yeah. but. It does make for a lot of really good puns. Like you can swap out the word death in any band name and put Jeff in there and it works really cool. So like five finger, five finger Jeff, Jeff punch. punch. Yeah. Like, uh, cause that's the most obvious one. And then you get like mega Jeff or just Jeff. Um, I see one I really like is Jeff cab for cutie. That's not a metal band obviously, but that one makes people laugh. Uh, a pale horse named Jeff. Jeff rides a pale horse, whatever. Like you could swap it in for just about anything and it works and it's pretty funny. Imagine if death was named Jeff. And that <laughs> yeah. was just the, the name Scream they Bloody Gore by Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and moving yeah. on to Immortal. At the Heart of Winter, when you posted that, like I love that record. That's my favorite record of theirs altogether. I think that's like easily top three, one of the best black metal records ever made. I think well, and I kind of said this in that video, but like, I don't think that At the Heart of Winter is like a pure black metal record. It has a lot of that kind of thrash influence in it. Yeah, there's a lot of melody them, to it, but I think it like, yeah, the perfect picture of an icy landscape in the music, like what's the yeah. sounds that are going around in the background and stuff. Yeah, it sounds cold. I mean, granted, like all their lyrics are about shit being chilly and frozen and, you know, the <laughs> the freezing winds of Blashrick or whatever. Yeah. So like they, they do a lot of that in the song title and the lyrics and like, that's a very intentional thing, obviously, but like even just musically, it sounds cold. Like with that, that guitar tone and the, the crispness of the drums, like they, the drums don't have that like really full kind of acoustic warmth that you get from like, like a drum kit. A lot of the time it's, they, it just sounds cold. It's almost like they recorded um, it in a freezer or something. Cause the drums yeah. and everything do sound cold. Yeah. So they, yeah, they absolutely nailed it. So that's like the first album that I send people and they're like, Oh, I don't really know anything about immortal. I'm like, you should listen to at the heart of winter. If you like that, you can move left or right from there. But I really don't think you should start with like pure Holocaust or (laughs) Or, uh, (laughs) black or whatever. Digest than a lot. They're like one of those bands that you can break up into periods. It's like Bathory, like, Bathory has their black metal period, their Viking metal period. They did a thrash metal album. Yeah. And then they kind of went back to Viking stuff with Nordland. Yes. But 
immortal, like diabolical full moon mysticism and pure Holocaust and, you know, that stuff has a different tone than when At the Heart of Winter came out. That was like the transitioning point into Sons of Northern Darkness. And then they kind of right. went with their sound from there. Well, and the, one of the interesting things that not a lot of people know about At the Heart of Winter is that um, Abbath played guitar and bass on that record. Like Demonaz only contributed lyrics. So like even this like musically the the production of it feels different because it's a different dude playing the guitar. Yeah. So I yeah, it has a, just a different vibe. Tone. That's an interesting fact there. Yeah, I didn't know that. The guitar mm -hmm. tone on it though is so like crispy but cold, chilling sounding at the same time. Like when Lamp of Murmur came out with that record last year, that the name escapes my brain immediately, but. That guitar tone in that record reminded me a lot of At the Heart of Winter. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it has stood the test of time for a reason. Like it's iconic in just about every way. Yeah. I 100% agree. So what are some of your favorite black metal records in general, aside from just the ones that we mentioned? Ooh, ooh, black metal. Let me let me look at my collection just to make sure I don't skip something. Yeah, um, that happens all the uh, time. Every time, yeah. yeah, I was like, I was like, yeah, my brain's gonna pop if I have to just sit here and think about all the yeah. black metal stuff that I have. Um, sign off and be like, wait, there's more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hold on, I forgot. Uh, so yeah, basically, all I love all the Bathory stuff. That's pretty clearly evident. I really like Winter Phyllis. Um, they have that very kind of like wall of sound thing that it almost has like like a shoegazy element to it without being black gaze. Cause I don't really care for black gaze, but it has that kind of like similar vibe to it where it's just like huge constant sound. So I really like winter Phillip. And I also really like the, like the acoustic record they did the reckoning dawn. I think it was called. Let's see. I mean, I don't know if you would consider like the first winter sun record to be black metal. It has parts, but it's also kind of like a, symphonic power at the same time that one's confusing it's kind of all over the place yeah um, i don't know like the cultist people wouldn't consider it black metal but it's definitely has the feel and the sound and the lore to it with everything yeah which cool. means that i would because yeah. i tend to do whatever the opposite of the culty people seem to think is cool i'd put um, it into like melodic black metal kind of but it is an amazing album i love that record yeah yeah i love that that record uh, i like Wormwitch a lot i was really big into uh heaven that dwells within um oh wayfarer yeah, can we wayfarer, talk for a second though. about wayfarer uh, i yeah. love wayfarer i think that they're one of the shit, most like, unique uh, bands to be to come out like recently I, yeah well, and I they're guess like not recently because they've been around for quite a while now like but yeah just this last their record sound though, blew them the fuck yeah, up that dude. american gothic record was so fucking amazing yeah, and before that, when they had a romance with violence, and I got really into them with World's Blood, which I think came out in like 2018. Yeah, um, that, that record, record sucks. That like, or, really, you think it that, sucks? that record? I like it. No, no, sorry, no. I, I was gonna say it sucks that that was. I feel like that album gets overlooked by a romance. Oh with yeah, violence. yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, because I feel yeah, like cause... when they did a romance with violence was when they started to kind of get more notoriety. Yeah. And I was like, and I felt they should have had that with um, World's Blood. Like, I listen to that record. That's probably my most listened to Wayfair record. Like, I love World's Blood. I like Romance of Violence, and I really liked American Gothic. But World's Blood is just like chef's kiss to me. There's there's some kind of thing about it that I can't quite 
narrow down, but just rocks. Um, the album cover is also, awesome too. Just it being so simple with the you know the pale dark rider on a horse, with yeah. like a blurry background. But it's I love, that was the first record of theirs that I heard, and then I went back to like Old Souls and the one before it. The one before that, Children of the Iron Age, I haven't really dug into a ton. But the four that followed, I've played the shit out of them. Yeah, I really liked Children of the Iron Age too. I really like. I guess for all the people who are curious, like I am into that kind of early second wave stuff, like uh, Under a Funeral Moon, Blazing Northern Sky. Like I like all that stuff. It just kind of sometimes gets a little samey for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's one of those things where like Dark Thrones discography is so large that it is often not like intimidating, but I just kind of (laughs) go, like there's so many options. Have you listened um, to any of their like newer stuff that they put out with like the last four or five records? Uh, I listened to oh, what did they call it? Not the Goat Lord one, um, Old Star, and I liked that. Okay, yeah, Old Star um, was cool. Um, Eternal yeah. Hills was good. Uh, I think Astral Fortress was the one that came out last year. Yeah, Goat I haven't Lord heard those like two. Goat Lord was like a repress of an old record, if I remember right. I think that is right. Now that you say it, yeah. And then, like, the Mayhem stuff's all cool. It doesn't, it's not super my thing. I think Dana Series Dumb Satanus is a little overhyped. But I, I understand it's important. It's like being seminal in the scene. Like, it's, right. it's an important record. But I'm like, when I listen to it now, I'm like, ah, it's fine. See, uh, Emperor, I really like In the Nightside Eclipse. That's probably my favorite Emperor record. So many. <laughs> I like um, anthems a little bit more than nightside just because like it was recorded in like a cathedral and everything and like the the ambiance of the album and how it sounds is it just sounds like you're at like a satanic church type of thing and like they're taking yeah. it on the ride but both great yeah. records i mean yeah i mean it's emperor like it's all good yeah um even ishan's solo stuff it's all good that guy that guy cannot does not miss as far as i'm concerned um yeah even like their later stuff like people didn't like prometheus and equilibrium and stuff but i I thought it was all great i like that shit yeah i love it i mean he he gets weird for sure and i think some people some people aren't into that but um i really like summoning a lot for like the obvious tolkien references and stuff i used to really like skeleton witch i don't i don't know if they're still around anymore um, or if you if you'd call them black are. metal, they kind of had like that that like black thrash thing going on. But I liked them a lot. Yeah, they were like um, thrash music with black metal vocals, kind of like Devil Master a little bit. Yeah, yeah, very similar. There was this album that came out in the '90s called Return to the Middle Ages. I think it was a, uh, I think it was by God Killer, and I really liked that record until I found out that the guy behind it was also part of a band called Crystal Knocked, apparently according to metal archives. And that kind of ruined that for me because I really liked that record. And obviously anybody associated with a project called crystal knocked deserves a side eye to a degree. I never heard of either um, of those. I don't yeah, follow enlighten me about this crystal knock. So crystal knocked was like that event that happened during the Holocaust where they went around and destroyed all the Jewish businesses oh, and stuff. Oh, I gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So it's just got like a big, yeah. big side eye for me on all that. I that makes sense. Um, I like Darkwood's My Betrothed quite a bit. Um, ooh, Stormkeep. Speaking of like <laughs> the Wayfarer guys, Stormkeep. Yeah. Like, yeah, we know Stormkeep rocks. Yeah, that album Tales of Other Time I think is 
probably one of the best black metal records to come out in the last decade. Like, it, yeah, just from yeah, I would start agree. to finish, it's absolutely perfect. I still listen yeah. to it like it just came out, and I'm waiting for them to come out with another record because it seems like they bounce. You know, like Blood Incantation will come out with something, and then Wayfair will come out with something, and then they had that little side project that started with an L that I don't know how to pronounce. Um, oh, like a tonin or whatever. Yeah, that one. It was like kind of like yeah. electronic black metal, death metal type of. It was a blend of a lot of different things. But I'm really waiting for yeah. Stormkeep to like put out that next installation to where that you know mm-hmm. they got a trilogy going on. Yeah, I need them to put out a record and then take me on tour with them. Um, that would be <laughs> awesome. <laughs> uh, so Isaac, if you're listening, please take me on tour with you. I really like Frost by Enslaved. And Enslaved is kind of hit and miss for me. Like a lot of the progier stuff I really don't care for, but like the earlier actual black metal stuff I'm big into, I like Frost a lot. Uh, I like Psy, if you're familiar with Psy from Japan. I don't think so. Um, oh, you should check out Psy. Uh, what is the name of that album that I really, really like? Is it, it just is called S-C-Y? Uh, S-I-G-H, like like you're sighing. Oh, so, okay. I was thinking like sigh, yeah. like sight. Mm, no, like literally like like your, like your the physical action. Um, they have an album from 2018. <laughs> yeah, they have an album from 2018 called Air to Despair that I love so much. Okay. I just, um, I just added it to my Apple Music right now. Yeah. Sigh is That's amazing. an interesting album cover for a black metal band. But I love that. Like that like that's such like an aesthetic vibe for me is when yeah. people play against that like that type where you're expecting like frosty warrior on a mountain or like right. you know something like that. And it's like a lady watering flowers. Like that's part of what drew me to like our album cover was that like it plays against that type. Yeah. And I didn't want something that was gonna like sit in with like all the other 1000 black metal albums that are released every year. I wanted something that kind of stood out. Right. I like um, that in dark thrones last record that Fenris just put a picture of him ice skating. I thought that was, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. I thought it was that last record. I, I dismissed for a while. And then I think Ryan was like, you should probably check this out. And it, that shit does sound a lot like their earlier stuff for sure. It's cool. I like it. Yeah. Uh, that's probably all the black metal stuff I can think of off the top of my head. Yeah, I mean, that's all good shit, like, from the stuff that I know, and now I got a small list of stuff to check out, too, so. Yeah. There was one more thing I wanted to talk about, uh, books, because mm-hmm. I know you, like, Barry and yeah. mentioned that you review books, I believe, like, on I do. Instagram, yep. TikTok. What kind of books do you like to read? Um, so I spend the most of my time uh, with fantasy and horror, so I try to uh, alternate, so I'll read a fantasy, then I'll read a horror and go back and forth. But yeah, I do my reviews on uh, TikTok. It's just under uh, Bloodfire Jeff there as well. Okay. How's that going? Or is it TikTok is, is a freaking enigma, man. Like, it, a, the, the algorithm on TikTok. Use it. It's weird. Yeah. Like, the TikTok or the TikTok algorithm does not seem to function in the way that the other algorithms do. So, like, the things sometimes I'll post something and it, like, kind of blows up and it was like the most low effort shit that i did and then sometimes i'll put a lot of effort into something and it mm-hmm. totally tanks and i don't understand and i might never understand but i'm, I'm very slowly will. building yeah like i'm slowly building a community which has been cool and it's probably the the better way to actually do that but it's been cool i like doing it it's something to do that 
isn't related to music, you know, it's like a, it's like a fun thing for me because right. everybody always knows me from, from music. So if I can get in front of some different people through books, I love that. Plus it, it's a good way for me to turn people onto the books that I really love that they might not know about, but also a good way for me to learn about books that I might not hear about otherwise. Cause I mean, just like music, there are so many books released all the time. It's like impossible to keep up. Okay. And with the advent of like, E, or the the further popularity of like ebooks, um, self publishing has become way more prevalent. Like there's so many self published books out nowadays, and a lot of them are really bad, but some of them are really good. So that has also created like a like this weird dichotomy of like this looks self published. I'm probably not going to read that, but every once in a while you you catch a really good one that just needs an editor. So, but it's fun. It's like something to do that doesn't involve music, which I need a break from every now and then. Right. What are you reading right now? I mean, not right this minute, but if you're reading a book at the, you know, yeah. at this point in time. Yeah. Uh, right now I'm reading a book called The Girl in the Tower by Catherine Arden. Um, it's part of a series called the Winter Night Trilogy. Uh, it's kind of a play on like Russian folk tales from the late 19th century. It takes place in kind of a, a late 1800s Moscow, but there's like, frost demons and uh these demons that live in your house called domovoy who like shine your shoes and clean your dishes and stuff like that so it's got kind of like a a cult vibe mixed up with like russian imperial history so that's really fun um i like that one a lot it's kind of a little little stiff the uh the gal who writes it is a very good writer so she uses like some words and has has a way of like Maybe stiff wasn't the right word. It has kind of an elevated language to it. Um, she clearly knows what she's doing. So it, yeah. it's very enjoyable to read, but sometimes it's not the most immediately accessible thing. That's and that's kind of, of a thing with Russian, where, Russian like, literature. You read a yeah. sentence and you're like, I got to look this word up because I've had to do that a hundred times in books. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'm also reading um, House of Leaves currently. I do a, a monthly book club like with my sister. So we alternate picking books and she picked House of Leaves for this month. So um, I'm also reading that. Right on. Jeremy and I both read quite a bit, but it's mostly music type of yeah, stuff. Yeah, autobiographies. Oh, sure. Like, I've read a handful. I'm like reading The even... Art of Darkness right now, which is like the history of goth. Yeah, that shit's oh, cool. tight. Yeah, Jeremy already read it. What are you reading right now? Me? Yeah. A straight edge book that I, it's like a, by the same dude that did um, the New York Hardcore one, Tony Ripman or whatever. Oh, okay. That, and then, yeah, that's pretty much all I'm reading right now. But it's kind of like, it's one of those books that you can read and almost like, please kill me. Oh, like you can kind of just, yeah, yeah you're you just, just like, oh, fucking Civ decided yeah. blah, blah, blah. Which I, I like those sometimes because those are a good book to like have on the back burner while you're like burning through a main one. I just have a lot of shit going on at the moment. Right. So that's why I'm reading that. Yeah, Art of Darkness is huge, so it's going to take me a little bit to finish through that. I'm like a quarter of the way through it at the moment. Which I did. Um, I picked that up too after you're like, dude, I'm burning through it and I'm like reading eh, it again. I'll just put it back because I know <laughs> I'll fucking tear into it, you know? Yeah. So anyways, Jeff, before Sorry. I got one more question for you before we wrap mm -hmm. things up. Uh, we always sure. ask this to people on the episodes. If you've listened to any of the other episodes, uh, what is something that you listen to that people would not expect you to listen to? 
Oh, easy. Uh, I listen to a lot of synthwave music. So that kind of like 80s retro wave stuff that's real popular right now. There's some bands like The Midnight, um, Dream Kid, uh, Nina, Prism, stuff like that. Um, I'm a sucker for that, that like 80s neon nostalgia stuff. I mean, I wasn't born until 90, so I you know, was never around for any of this, but it, I love it, man. Like, like that Blade Runner, Terminator, Fuck uh, yeah, dude. Die Hard stuff. Like I, I eat that shit up with a spoon. So I listen to a, a lot of synth wave. Um, and then I also listen to a lot of um, this 80s music from Japan called City Pop. There we go. Um, which, juicy. yeah, 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 that, that? that's a very that? kind of cutesy thing. So think like, like like an 80s Japanese version of like kind of a neo-funk. It's a mix of like uh, like funk music with kind of a lot of that synthwave vibe to it. Man, I could send you some really good stuff if you're curious. Um, yeah. But it has like very so – Yeah. Yeah, like very bouncy, um, lighthearted. So much of it is so catchy. It's crazy. Um uh, yeah, kind of, kind of funk, kind of pop, kind of synth music. That was uh, like a staple of the Japan scene in the '80s. And I don't even remember how I got turned on to this. Like, I don't remember what weird Reddit thread I went down where I found uh, this city pop stuff. But again, it's something I love, and I find more of it every day. It's got that, like, that super, super kitschy, like, crappy album covers that were so popular, like it'll just be like a dude standing on the beach or like a guy with a cigarette by his car. Like I'll send you some stuff. It's wild. But um, uh, Maria Takeuchi is my favorite city pop artist right now. She has a song called plastic love. Um, that is one of my favorite songs of all time. So if anyone's curious, check out plastic love plastic by Maria love. Takeuchi. Yep. I'm adding it right now. So I don't forget, but yeah, definitely send me some stuff. I'm always open to checking stuff yeah out. yeah so i listen to a ton of that i listen to a lot of classical but that's probably not a surprise but yeah definitely that that synth wave city pop stuff is my most of the time that's probably what i'm listening to if it's not metal awesome uh well before we sign off do you have anything that you want to add or social media tags that you want to plug or anything like that i'll have all your stuff um, in the episode description so for oh no then i think that's good go. yeah um the other thing I would, I appreciate you guys having me on spreading the word about castle metal. I really appreciate that very much. Um, and then I will always encourage people to be kind to animals and listen to castle metal. A little pun on the Fiat Productions shirt. Oh, yeah. yeah. But yeah, man, we were uh, happy to do the episode. We were looking forward to talking with you and we thank you for jumping on and taking the time to talk with us. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, man. It's real informative. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. I appreciate your guys' time. I had a good time. Cool. Well, I will uh, be in touch with you online, and thanks again, man. You uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend. Yeah, you too, guys. Take care. Peace.